This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to Aaron Fever Talks 2, Episode 10. I am the eponymous Aaron Fever. And this month I'm talking to Shannon Strucci. Shannon has a great uh, movie critique video series on YouTube called How to Be a Film Nerd. And they're really informative and really well uh, made and thought out. And it's, uh, I've watched them and they're all very impressive. Uh, I met Shannon a few years ago at Dragon Con and we kind of have kept in touch online. And so I jumped at the chance to talk to her about her experiences as her career is starting to take off online. She's done a bunch of uh, conventions of her own this summer, which was really cool to see. And uh, we talk about movies in general a little bit too. This podcast exists because of the lovely people on Patreon. That's probably you listening right now. If it's not you, it could be you. I could be telling you you're lovely. Uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Aaron Fever, you can donate as little as $1 a month, uh, which is nothing really if you think about it. Uh, and what that does is that money goes towards uh, this podcast directly. It helps pay for the bills to produce it and also uh, pay for other bills of mine, which gives me a little bit of leniency so that I have time to do this podcast every month among among other podcasts that I do and video series and a bunch of other cool stuff like comic books as well. That's it. You don't really hear any other ads on this podcast because I'm not sponsored by anybody. So it's just this. This is the only thing that you'll hear that will be anything other than conversation. Uh, but you can also go to uh, AaronFever.com and you can see any other information about me and things that i'm doing and upcoming live events that i have i've got a lot of shows coming up over october with my improv group called kill the monster and we're doing lots of great comedy shows which is going to be a lot of fun and that's it so now it's just time for you to listen to my conversation with shannon strucci how are you doing well okay I'm tired good. i've been going all over the place this month um, yeah you've had a busy summer yeah Really busy, and I've had I've been sick a lot too. So it's just I, the last time I went to a doctor, she was like, "You need to slow down." And I was like, "I can't." <laughs> but it's been really fun. It's been worth it for sure. Okay, so what was the start of everything this summer? Because you went to a good few conventions. Yeah, I um. Well, it was so like late August. Actually, it happened like my mom had a heart attack, which was crazy. Then not long after that, I went to New Orleans. Then I went to Dragon Con and I paneled there for the first time. Then I had my friend's bachelorette party. Then um, I'm like having trouble keeping it all together. Then I went to a concert. Then I went to Intervention Con. Then I went to a wedding. And then I just went to like I was editing in a different city and I just got back. So it's been like the past month and a half. Like it's been weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember that happening with your with your mom and then thinking like, oh, you had to go do a convention. Like was she even out of the hospital at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, like, I think late July she had the heart attack, and I took care of her for a little bit, but she's fine now. Okay. She's actually, I think, um, she didn't realize that, obviously didn't realize that her health was that bad, and after um, being taken care of, I saw her at the wedding, and she's like, seems a lot happier, and she's doing really, really well, so that was good. But we did the day before the convention, the relatives I live with, I live with my aunt and my uncle and my cousin, um, they had to put their dog down, like, oh, the day geez. before Dragon Con. So yeah, my cousin, um, who you know, you've met, uh, was like, she was in pretty good spirits considering that too. It was crazy. I mean, like I said, it's been fun. Not the sad stuff, but it's, it's been fun. I've just been, I'm not used to being this busy. Yeah. I, I know what you mean though, when you're saying like that your mom didn't know she was in bad health. My, my dad spent like two months in hospital, uh, this summer as well. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. He's, he, again, he's seemingly okay now. So, you know, uh, all's well, that, all's well that ends well, but, um, he uh yeah he, he got told when he got a bunch of scans in the hospital that he had previously had a heart attack and just didn't know oh. about it. <laughs> that happened to my aunt really she didn't know that yeah she had i guess it must have been a mild one i don't know but she yeah. had had one and only found out later yeah and he was kind of like like asking you know oh can you tell when that happened and they were like no and so now we all have these <laughs> different theories about like when this possibly happens like well you were acting weird that day and <laughs> <laughs> Were you sick? Did you have jaw and arm pain? Like, <laughs> and that's how I, not to like bring it down, but that's how my dad died when I was fourteen. So it's like, oh gosh, I really have to take care of myself to not <laughs> have. It was like both of my parents have had heart attacks. Jesus, it's yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, I eat pretty well and I don't smoke and stuff. 
but it's still like ugh. <laughs> it's scary. And you're still quite young. Like you're younger than me. Yeah, I'm 25. Yeah, you're a good bit younger than me. Fuck you, mm-hmm. fucking kids on these shows. <laughs> I know. I it's it gets weird because everyone in like online video stuff, I compare myself to people and I get frustrated. But I'm like, every all these people are 10 years old. Not necessarily, but like the people that I feel like I'm competing with are doing the same stuff as have like 10 years of experience on me. And I'm like, I need to stop comparing myself. But I do it anyway, and I'm like, oh, why aren't I as good as this? Or I don't, you know. Yeah. It's like oh. they've they've been building a following for 10 years, whereas 10 years ago I was 15. You know. Yeah, well, and also too, it's it's that's a common thing as well to like compare yourself to other people. Like when, when they were my age, they did this. Yeah. Like the classic example, which like the, this guy used to drive me crazy for years. I've let go of it now, but like Edgar Wright, who I know <laughs> oh loved, yeah, like was like what twenty one when he was making Spaced. The bastard. Yeah, he was a baby. <laughs> uh, Sam Raimi was nineteen when he directed Evil Dead. Bruce Campbell was twenty one. No, I think. Uh, they like dropped out of high school <laughs> to make Evil Dead. And like, what's what was the earliest thing you can remember filming? We would do. Um, my parents got us a weird like black and white security cam. I think because it was cheap, and we would film videos of the cat and stuff like that. When <laughs> I was been like nine or ten, and wow. also on my my dad's side, Christmas we would shoot weird like awful fake horror movies. Um, and I did a lot of that. We, we had a little handy cam. Um, can you remember any of them? Like, can you remember a plot line for one of them? It was terrible. I know I like playing dead bodies. I was shy. I didn't like being on camera that much, I think. So I would just lay on the ground <laughs> and be dead. I remember, I remember hitting someone like I would, I don't know if I was the killer. I hit someone with a plank of wood and they were supposed to fall over and it looked so fake. The whole family thought it was hysterical. Um, we did a lot of the, yeah, a lot of that. I, my first editing I did was I made anime music videos when I was like sixteen. Um, that's how I learned to edit because I was a big anime nerd, um, <laughs> and I really like setting clips to music and cutting to tempo. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I, I I did I did television and film in college, and and mm-hmm. uh, my the thing that I, I adored the most out of about any projects that we got was when we were allowed basically make a music video. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it, there's something, um, there's, it's a, it's an amazing uh, training to both know how to cut within the rhythm of a beat and also how not to do that. Yeah. Uh, cause sometimes that can be awful too, by just cutting on the beat every time. Um, so yeah, it's a real, it's, I think it's a wonderful place for, I think most people, like some of my favorite directors started out doing music videos, like Michelle Gondry did like, you know, kind of did that as a, as a priority for a long time and, and Spike mm-hmm. Jones and stuff like that. I think they're really cool. Um, so I, you went to a film school, right? Yeah, I don't like to talk about which one, just for, like we were talking about anonymity earlier. But yeah, I went to, I basically got a degree in telecommunications, sort of, like in video production, and I um, minored in film studies. So okay. I had both both there, and they're very, very different. Like when people are like, I studied film, I'm like, what do you mean? Because to me, it's really different learning like film culture and history and analysis and film theory versus this is how you operate a camera. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I know like even uh, when we were because we did a, we did a foundation course. I say we because it's like you know there's a few friends that I still have uh, mm-hmm. that I meshed doing this like one year. Uh, it was a TV and film production course and it's basically taught you how to like film and do some things um and then it branched off then into a, a diploma course a two-year course uh of either television production or film production mm. and i always feel like a bit of a sham when i tell people that i did like you know because if i tell people i did television production in college they kind of look at you funny um but if you tell them you did film in college they they get it <laughs> and i don't know why <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in practice, especially if you're doing, like, PA kind of stuff, it's not that different. Mm. I mean, they're different mediums, for sure, and a lot of different. But if you're, it's sort of, especially lower level, like, how, how to use equipment, how to behave on set, it's not, I don't think it's, like, that. Yeah. Be, I don't know. Um, yeah, like, it's it kind of the general, like, you know, how to operate a boom and, and you mm-hmm. know, how to operate a camera, aren't you? Like, hugely different, although you probably use a slightly more digital uh, in TV, but... Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, was that, when you went to college, was that, like, did you know in your head what role you wanted to have coming out of it? Yeah, I well, I loved editing, because I got 
pretty good at drawing and writing in high school, but I would get bored after like an hour and a half. I could I would start all these short stories and almost never finish them, and I'd never finish drawings, but I could edit for like eight hours. I was like, I guess this is what I should do for a living. And my I went to one college. I went to sort of like a smaller college to get an associate's degree to save money because mm. I didn't have we, my family doesn't have a ton of money. Um, and I was kind of miserable there because they didn't have any film classes. And I just sort of, I did theater, which is fun. And I learned a lot, but it's like, oh, this isn't for me. This is so small. This, I can't, you know, uh, I did go to the film club there, which is really fun. And I saw a lot of really cool stuff, but yeah, then I was like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. And I went to a much bigger, more prestigious college and learned, took, you know, production classes. And the whole time I was just thinking, I want to be an editor, but you obviously have to learn how to do everything, especially they kind of expect you, especially lower level jobs to be able to run a camera and do lighting and all that, which I do know how to do, and I still do that for money. I do freelance. Uh, but editing for story is what I like doing. I don't want to be an assistant editor. I don't want to, you know, run camera for a living. Yeah. And I got a, a job at the university. I was very fortunate. And I basically got free reign after a while. I had a really good relationship with my boss, and he trusted me. He was just like, okay, do this. So I did a lot of um, interviews of professors, and then we would, my coworkers and I would shoot B-roll of them playing with their kids or doing their hobbies. And I, so I basically learned how to do documentary style shooting, which, and editing, which helped a lot for my web series. Cause it's sort of similar, I guess. Um, so that was a whole lot of experience. I worked there for two years and I really, it was really cool. Yeah. And what, like, so when you were learning all the other, the other different paths of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. productions and stuff like that, like what was the role that you hated doing like the most, like what was like, you know, Oh God, Ooh. I don't, don't tell me how to do camera <laughs> today or. I hated lighting and I always ended up having to do it cause I was the only person who knew how to do it. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know. I, I like editing because if you're not completely incompetent, it can't go horribly wrong. Like, unless I accidentally erased a card or erased a hard drive or something. I mean, I could be a bad editor, but uh, when you're running camera, it's like, oh, the boom was in the shot. It's ruined. This was out of focus. It's ruined. And it right. can be very hard when you're when you don't have a lot of money and you have a very small crew and, and time constraints. Running camera to me was very stressful. Um, I mean, I can do it and I enjoy it, um, but I much prefer to be sitting in my own little uh, at my iMac like, you know, in my pajamas or whatever at three in the morning, sort of controlling my environment, you know, that's usually how I end up editing. Uh, I just, to me, it's very relaxing. It's very meticulous. It's like sculpting. It's, I just love doing that versus being on set. It's like, oh, it's raining. It rained on the camera. The camera's ruined. That's thousands of dollars, you know. Um, it's still fun. It just makes me a lot more anxious okay. to do that. And, like, I know, like, you're in the... Uh, uh, Atlanta area or is it Georgia area really like because I know yeah I, yeah, I Atlanta, see, yeah okay um so what's I know it's recently kind of kicked off for, as far as yeah. film and tv is concerned but like how noticeable was that for you like did you grow up thinking like you know I'll have to move to get, get work I kind of did I mean I guess the past five ten years is really when it you know and um I went to school not in Atlanta, but in Georgia. And it wasn't as noticeable. But now that I live near Atlanta, it's like I'll be taking the bus and I'll see on the side of the road in downtown, like all the cameras and stuff. And I'll recognize in movies. There's a, I don't know if you, the second, I think, Hunger Games movie, a bunch of it was shot in the Marriott. Oh, yeah. I recognize the elevator straight away. <laughs> yeah. It, it, me, it takes me out of it so fast. And Manhunter, too. The Michael Mann, I think, film. I watched it was shot the, a long time ago, but it was all, it also has scenes in the Marriott. I watched The it's Nice weird. Guys on the plane home from Dragon Con this year, and it was very mm-hmm. bizarre having spent a week around those hotels to see them <laughs> uh, dancing around the fucking Hilton uh, in Atlanta. Like, and, I'm like, I was, and, and it was weird because I recognized it because they walked by a sign on the wall. And I'm like, I know that sign. And then suddenly it opens <laughs> up and you're like, oh my God, they're in the hotel. I didn't even recognize that. I need to watch that movie again. I oh, love that film. Yeah. The last like 20 minutes is essentially in the Hilton in, in uh, downtown Atlanta. It's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's really, it's a huge shift. And there's a lot of reasons for it. And I've tried to get, since I got laid off from my uh, university job, I haven't had a whole lot of luck getting another like steady job. But I'm also kind of having more fun doing web stuff and trying to build that up. I don't know. So I just do freelance here and there, but I have a lot, a lot of friends from school and even not from school who are doing PA work and who are doing really well. Um, like working really, really hard to get 
into it. Because I think a lot of it, too, is we have competition, especially being younger, like I was talking about, competition for people who are moving from L.A. and New York to work here, too, um, like coming with productions. Yeah. So uh, they're, again, people who've been doing it for a long time. And I don't really... And after having that experience of being in charge of projects and having a lot of trust and responsibility, I would sort of have to start over again. And I don't really want to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, knowing what I can do. It's kind of an ego thing too. Oh, well, I completely understand it though, especially because mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, building up contacts is such a, a thing when it comes to uh, that industry. So yeah. to stay, go to move to a new place and have to try and like build that up again is, I mean, it's like I've had friends often telling me that I should move out of Ireland to do, you know, more comedy or comic stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. But I'm actually starting to like, you know, be, get into the scene here. <laughs> so, yeah. After uh, working so hard. Yeah. And, and yeah, Atlanta's great for comedy. It's one of the big cities for stand-up. I go to stand-up shows all the time, and I love it here. What was the show that you um, went to just before Dragon Con where you won? What was oh, that? What was, was Ladies' that? Night? What is Ladies' it's, Night? It's um, there are three guys who run it, and it's basically it starts with stand-up, like the hosts do stand-up, and they have stand-up comics, and then they show two like uh, two host videos or a couple of host videos that they've made, like sketches. Then it's all people uh, enter into it like a contest, and they show four or five sketches that people from the Atlanta area have filmed. And then while they tally it up, they'll have another comic come up, and then whoever had got the most votes uh, wins for the sketch for that month. Okay. And me and my cousin have been going to it for months, and that was the first time we made it in and the first time that we won, too. So it was crazy. It was so weird. And um, is there, have you been able to put that video up online since then? Yeah, it's on it's on my YouTube channel. It's the one with the mannequin heads. Oh, that one. Okay, I didn't yeah, know that that's what we want. All right. Yeah. So, so my what I was doing in uh, this past weekend was I was with my friend. We're editing the video we're going to submit for October. We're trying to get that together to submit it because it's due Tuesday, and then see because we automatically since we won we automatically get in again. So it's like we're trying to see if we can win every month. Not that I don't know. And there's a whole lot of variety. Um, in terms uh, of people who enter in terms of like professionalism and experience and what they do. So you really never know. I mean, it's always funny, but you can tell some people have like worked in TV versus other people, but it's all, it's still all very entertaining, very interesting. It's, it's really fun. I like it a lot. Um, that's a cool idea. Yeah. yeah, They also, they just started doing it in Chattanooga too. They're working really, really hard. So they, they'll do a show, I think on, um, Thursday in Atlanta, then Friday they go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and host another show. Okay. On you. top of thank you doing... for saying the Tennessee part because oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of Chattanooga because I, I frankly think it's a hilarious name. Um, <laughs> it sounds like some sort of weird fecal sex thing. Um, <laughs> Chattanooga. Yeah. Oh man, this girl Chattanooga all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go to the, the aquarium there when I was little. Um, but yeah, they there's also a stand up. There's a somewhat of a stand up scene there, but because I know people go there when they do, I don't know. But I don't, I'm not a comic. I don't know a lot about all that. But yeah, that was uh, so. Yeah, it was really crazy. It was my first Dragon Con that I was paneling at, and the day before we won Ladies' Night, and I was just like, "What? This is crazy. This is so weird." <laughs> and how did you find uh, the difference in attending a convention like Dragon Con and that you've gone to a bunch of times before, but now mm-hmm. doing panels at it as well? Uh, I was happy that I only. I mean, when I went to Intervention Con, I had a lot more panels, so I was a lot busier. Right. And I was kind of happy at Dragon Con that it didn't overlap with anything I really wanted to do because that would be hard. I mean, I would do paneling because I need to have more experience doing that. But I was also able to go to stuff like the Gonzo shows that y'all do and other things that I really... Because if I was like, oh, that's one of the highlights of the convention for me, it would have sucked if I missed that. Um, it was it was fun. It was, uh, And I hadn't really been to a lot of film panels and people were a lot more... Uh, like sober and quiet, <laughs> like honestly, compared to a lot of other stuff at Dragon Con. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was different, but people were still really like nerdy and enthusiastic and people, a couple, like a lot less people in cosplay at the cult movies panel versus most of the stuff I go to. Uh, but it was really, really fun. Um, yeah. And I, I was so I, nervous, but I think I did pretty well. Yeah, I've I heard good things. I wasn't able to tell myself because of the same reason. I unfortunately, when I get to go, maybe see one panel the whole weekend when I do Dragon Con because I'm doing about ten panels for it <laughs> over three days. So it's crazy. 
That's a lot. Yeah, I did. I did seven on the Friday. Oh um, my god! Four back to back, and then I had an hour break, and then I did three back to back. So Friday was a Too whole much. thing. Yeah, it, it, you think that, but at the same time, I I I'd rather do that than than one the whole day. Um, mm-hmm. There's some I don't know, but I've I've had a, a very different entrance to that convention because I've never I've I've only been once as a spectator. Uh, so. Um, yeah, and I'm a whore for attention. So what can you do? <laughs> I'm I'm very shy, and I'm I don't like that much attention. I like it some, but I'm like, uh, everybody's looking at me. This is weird. Um, but yeah, that was my seventh time going. I first went when I was 19. Uh, when I was a little, I was a kid, so it was uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, well, speaking of, and, speaking of your shyness, because I I was listening to uh, I was rewatching some of your uh, videos uh, t- <laughs> today. And uh, I noticed the difference in your voice from the first one to like the fifth one. <laughs> yeah, is an amazing journey to like just to to listen to someone go like quiet as a mouse in that first <laughs> video. Uh, was that terrifying for you to do that first one to like to put your voice out there like that? Not really. Um, it was weird. I was living with two roommates at the time, and sitting in my room and just saying the same things because I would do a ton of takes so saying something over and over and over again I just felt like a crazy person like I hope they don't hear me I don't remember if I did it when they weren't home or not and I just sort of had to get used to okay I'm going to sit down in front of my computer or sit down wherever with a microphone I'm just going to do this I'm not going to care if people hear me or if they think I'm weird and I also got better at controlling my voice and projecting yeah I when I went to intervention con I put together the first five episodes as one hour long thing and it was so weird watching it like I, I watched it uh three i think yeah three different days were screenings and just sitting there and having it projected like every little mistake i had made and every little stupid like ah uh, um but yeah i got a lot better and i used to be really nervous about being on podcasts but this is like the ninth or tenth one that i've done right. so you just sort of get used to it <laughs> yeah i'm not nearly as nervous about it anymore yeah yeah how, how are you about like uh did you listen back to the podcast that you're on yeah i do most okay. of them. Yeah, I, I, I find like a, I, I went through a phase where I couldn't because I was just like, oh, my <laughs> voice. Um, but then, uh, yeah, after a while, you kind of, you, you stop doing that, I don't recognize myself thing. And you're like, oh, that's what I sound like. I, I'm aware of this. <laughs> yeah, because you need to, I, I am self-conscious about how much I say like, and I try not to do it. I don't even know if I'm doing it because I don't think about it. But that's what I sort of cringe at. Or I'm like, like this and like that and like that, you know. But um, especially after doing um these videos and recording myself for 30 minutes and cutting it down to 10 minutes i hear my voice so much now there was one i forget which one recently where i messed up and i had to re-record the entire thing when i when i because i had mono this summer so i was like sick and i was so tired i was just like oh i gotta do this again i thought i was done um because the card had like filled up and i hadn't been paying attention in the microphone and where i recorded I wasn't able to record in the same place, so it sounded too different. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, gotta, I just got to do it again. Um, yeah, it's something, it's a it's a reason why, like I did, I tried to do these interviews once um, with these comic artists. They were at a convention in my town, and I was just like, you know, I'm going to go give myself a reason to come talk to these guys for a legitimate period of time. Because, you know, I'm very awkward with meeting people for the first time. And mm-hmm. I thought, like, well, I work for websites that do interviews. I do podcasts. I'll just I'll bring my camera with me, and I'll get a microphone, and I'll, I'll record, like, 10-minute interviews with these guys. And, and it was great. I got to meet, like, Matt Hollingsworth and, and Jordi Belair and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and then I got – so I did three different interviews, and I got the footage home. On one, the microphone wasn't working. On oh. um, the other, um, it it worked, but it 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 worked for uh, half of the interview, uh, and then for the third one, the battery died halfway through on the camera. <laughs> so. No, that's why I told you I'm anxious about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Something's always going wrong. You got to bring like 15 batteries, and like I'll have a spare mic and a spare camera just in case. Yeah. Oh, that's awful though. Yeah, and it's especially if you're doing something at a, at a convention like you know, especially I've given up trying to film a Dragon Con at this point because yeah, I'm never gonna try. It's too diff- yeah. It's a there's too much going on. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge. Everyone's drunk and in costume. And you can't. Nowhere is quiet. Um, Every, everyone, including you. <laughs> I was yeah for my uh, 
that honestly, that was a little different for my panels. I was like, I am not going to drink anything. I'm going to be completely sober mm-hmm. um, for that. So it was like, yeah, one ended at like eight. And then I rejoined my friends who maybe weren't 100% sober. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got <laughs> you know? to catch up. <laughs> yeah, I got to. Yeah, pretty much. I have to catch up. Um, so yeah. what was what was your impetus then for doing how to be a film nerd? Like what was what was your driving force for for that? The day that I wrote the first episode was the day that I found out when I was going to be laid off from my old job. And I was like, I have to do something. Um, I can't, you know, I'm not going to just get by with my resume or whatever. I need to do something. And I, I had like a lot of different influences, I think. One, working on those videos for the university. Um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing documentary style stuff a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and of course... I mean, the most obvious one is uh, Tony Joe, who does Every Frame of Painting. I, I tried not to rip him off directly, but it's uh, really similar. Um, uh, there's uh, Red Letter Media, who I've been a massive fan of for like six years. Um, and actually, I used to watch Yahtzee Zero Punctuation Reviews, where he talks really fast. Yeah. And I was like, I like that. I don't like getting bored. And he got that from Charlie Brooker, who I'm also a really big fan of. Um, so it was just sort of elements of all of that. There's a thing where I throw... Um, the DVD copy of Crash in the Trash Can is very, like, Plinkett-esque, the Red Letter Media kind of thing. They're, like, they're just little things um, that I took. And a lot of it, too, is my own sensibility, my own editing sensibility and my own sense of humor and the stuff that I care about. I think tonally it's very – it's not necessarily similar to any of those. But, yeah, I stole a lot of stuff from a lot of people. But I'm not, I'm not shy about it, at least, you know. <laughs> I reference all of them, I think, multiple times. Yeah. Or, yeah. If anyone follows you on Twitter as well, like, you're very vocal about your support of them, too. Yeah, yeah. How do you, like, because I assume Twitter is more your jam than any other platform, right? It's what? Is more your jam than any other platform. Like, you you prefer that over Facebook or anywhere else. Yeah, I'm very private on Facebook. That's for, like, close friends and family, and I don't, I have, there's a Street Team Movies Facebook page, but no one really, especially with Facebook's, like, algorithm, the way that they manipulate, you know, who gets to see stuff. Oh yeah, there's no I, point I, in having a page anymore. It's ridiculous. No, if you if I don't have like fifty thousand people looking at it, then what even is the point of? Um, so I barely update it. And I used to be on Tumblr a lot, but I think Twitter is the best platform for what I'm doing. Um, and I just sort of my um, the reason I got on Twitter is one, I got a smartphone and I have very limited data, so I couldn't be on Tumblr as much, right. which is what I used to do because there's so many videos and images and stuff. So I just sort of got into Twitter and then was sort of like, this is fun, and got. Um, ended up being friends through Twitter with people who I had been a fan of, or it's really, really weird. Like, Oh, so-and-so just followed me. I'm freaking out, you know? (laughs) Um, And it being able to interact with people, especially there are people, the guy who made, uh, frog fractions and Michael Lutz who made, uh, the uncle who works for Nintendo. Those are some of my favorite, like smaller video, like games. And I'm like Twitter pals with them. And it's super, at first it's really weird, but you just kind of get used to it. And you got to be cool and be normal, and then just like have conversations with them about sandwiches or whatever. You know, <laughs> uh, I I love it as a platform, and I love the co- the the comedy that comes out of it a lot. Have you ever gotten some of the weird crap that people can get on Twitter though? Sometimes because you have a significant following, oh, yeah. so you're and you're and you're you know you're visible on on YouTube. So I yeah. can only imagine you get some weirdos. Not as many as I thought I would. The things that brought them out recently, I made that tweet about something about, like, if you really think that film critics care about whether a movie is DC or Marvel, then it's just, like, nerd. I forget what I said. I was like, you're deluding yourself. They really don't care going yeah, into it. Yeah, they're, and they're, I got not, people, they're not DC marks or they're not Marvel marks. Like. <laughs> no, they really don't. Like, they probably, what's most likely is that they're like full of themselves and they think all comic book movies are bad. That's really what it is. You don't want to admit that to yourself. Are these people, and I got people with Batman avatars telling me I needed to get laid. Um, <laughs> and I had, I forget what it was recently that I talked about, and I got a lot of weird alt-right people trying to start an argument with me oh. i forget what it was but i said something and they were like but they it was clear that they would just sit there all day and tweet at a whole bunch of people and see who took the bait yeah and just like mute 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 like i don't that, that's the thing too that i think helps me and i don't want to like victim blame or whatever but i don't engage with people if i think they're not there to have a sincere conversation i just don't respond i just mute them i'm like i'm not i don't care 
especially because I grew up on the internet. I was supposed to go on Neopets probably when I was like 10 years old and was on a lot of public boards and dealt with a lot of, you know, trolls and like me. And it's just like, I don't need to win an argument with you. I'm not even going to bother to, you know, dignify whatever you need to get laid lady with a response. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that helps me because people aren't like, because people get entertainment out of getting a rise out of someone. And I'm like, I really don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of, uh, Thing, cause I know what you're saying about like you know people who kind of uh, entertain it almost uh, to a certain mm-hmm. extent, and you know I I get how like the the argument can be made like oh well I can mute them but they'll make a new account and they'll start mm-hmm. posting again, but more often than not they're not really not bothered, uh, they, at least not for anyone at our level. Um, you no, know. and I and I know a lot of it too is that I'm not I don't say anything super contentious, right? And I'm not like faint like. I'm not going to pretend that like Zoe Quinn can just, Oh, just mute it and it'll go away. Or like Anita Sarkeet, like that. They can't, that's their, that's always going to be a part of their life on the internet. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and it's really and I, just still to this day, like I don't understand it at all. Like why anybody has, can have that much venom for someone who has no interaction in their life whatsoever. Yeah. And I mean, I've, people have, haven't been happy that I've said this, but like, honestly, I've watched Anita Sarkeesian's videos and I think they're kind of boring. They're very like academic, very dry, like her sitting in front of a green screen. Um, and I don't really watch them, but it's like, that is the most inoffensive, like dry thing. And that makes you want to murder her. That's crazy. That's so, you know, yeah. And she's, she's not yet. And she's such a passive, uh, person in anybody's Uh life because she's not, she's not on TV. Like, you know, she's not on every advertisement. She's not on billboards. It's like, it's like, so it's not like, you know, like a huge celebrity, like, you know, uh, like a George Clooney who you can't really get away from. Like, mm-hmm. there's no, you can't really ignore George Clooney. He's just, you know, ubiquitous. But Arnita Sarkeesian, you have to search her out to find her stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you, you, it's not as if, like, you know, oh, this chick again. Because, like, I, I literally had to, I've watched one of her videos and I had to go looking for her. <laughs> yeah it's the yeah there and it makes it hard and it makes it scary like when i made that video games video mm. i don't i don't really say anything particularly super political in it but i was like i want to i like beefed up my passwords my security i like went through and deleted some old i was just like i don't want like this is a scary thing to walk into more so than i think film culture i think video game culture is uh worse even though i love video games yeah, it's just, and it's something, I mean, it's something anyone really has to worry about being online or whatever, but like me being a woman, it's like, oh, well, let's see. And then nothing bad happened. Everyone was really nice <laughs> and it was fine. Um, yeah. Well, I had, I had a, I had a, uh, a female uh, musician friend who wrote a song about um, an ex and the song was very much based around the idea of like, you know, sorry for your fragile masculinity. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, she was afraid to release it because she was worried about the shit she might get from, you know, that sort of community of angry man babies. Um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange thing and and it's something I'm very glad I don't have to worry about as a, like a straight white dude from Ireland. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of fun sometimes because like I get to say shit about those guys on Twitter and they never come at me because I'm a straight white dude in Ireland. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. They don't. Um, but um, so you put out a video at least once a month. I try to. I've been especially being sick this year and being so busy. I try to. My ideal would be to put out like two, one every two weeks or something. Yeah. But they take like the video games one took like 50 hours to make because there's like, I, I write the script so I do a whole bunch of research and then I have to find all of the clips and I have to do the, you know, there's like so many different steps to it. Although like the Hot Fuzz video, I honestly made that one really quickly because I needed the Patreon money. It yeah. was the end of the month. Yeah. So I made that one in two days. <laughs> Which was, like, really breakneck. Uh, but I can imagine that that one would be easier because you're pulling references from a relatively slim area yeah. of movies. And I already had it all in my head. Yeah, um, whereas, like, I'm very, like, I, I'm quite impressed with, like, the, the even just where you get some of the footage from, from some of the clips that you include in your videos, because you, mm-hmm. you have so many from such a wide-ranging amount of movies. Um, yeah. Is, is there, is there a, 
is there a point now where you're watching a film and you can get distracted by like, oh, I should probably put that in a thing. I better mark down the time on this. (laughs) Yeah, I do, but I don't mark it down. So I waste time later. I need to start doing that. Or I'll be watching something like uh, The Lobster. And I was like, I need to make an essay about this. Or like watching Hannibal. I knew eventually I would make a, a Hannibal essay, which is the one I'm working on now. It's like, oh, this scene is really interesting. Oh, this thing I read about it. Oh, this interview. And it's, it's something, too, that I think really, something I do really different from Tony, who does every frame of painting, is, like, he mostly will just have, like, film clips. Whereas I'll take, okay, here's a clip from a video game. Here's something from an old TV show. Here's a book. Here's this. And I don't really have any kind of standards as far as, you know, it's like, this clip looks kind of terrible. It's like 240p, but it's all I have, and I think it's funny, so it's going in. Here's something from this, you know. Um, and so I'm not very discriminating, which means I get a lot of a whole a wide variety of stuff, but it also means it takes me forever to yeah. track everything down and narrow it down. Um, but it's fun. I really enjoy it. I wouldn't. I would love to be able to just make a living off doing this and going to conventions and stuff, which is what I'm trying to do. But if I were more consistent, <laughs> I would have a bigger following and make more money. But it's hard to be consistent. Um, What's what is what do you what would be the ideal situation for you then? Because like, would you like to do what you're doing, but on a bigger like on a bigger platform, like as a like a like a TV show, or like you know, do you do you is there a goal, an ultimate goal in mind that you you know, even if you think like, oh, maybe this is not realistic, but this would be absolutely mm-hmm. the dream thing. Uh, it would be just do like I care more about accessibility and people being able to watch it. And I don't want to have to deal with sponsors or networks telling me what to do. Right. Cause I do, I do put in like weird little things or stuff, you know, um, it would just be doing this, but making it being like economically feasible. Like I'm really, really grateful for the support I get on Patreon, but it's not enough. Like I live with relatives cause I can't afford rent cause I'm still trying to make it, you know? Yeah. Um, and if I, I could give it up and get, you know, a job as a barista or whatever, but it's like, no, I want to, I have to spend 45 hours <laughs> making an essay about why Hannibal is great. <laughs> like that's what I have to do with my time. I can't do that if I'm working full time at Goodwill or whatever, uh, which I tried to, I actually last year, one of the last jobs I, I applied to, I applied to Goodwill, which I don't know if you, it's like a chain thrift store. Um, yeah. I, I, it's just one of those things that I hear a lot through like in media, uh, taken like you know because we we get so much american tv and movies over here so. <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah um i i applied and they told me basically i had the job and then i called and then i didn't hear from them and i called them back and they left me on hold over an hour and i didn't get they'd never call me back and i was like i can't even get a job at goodwill this is very frustrating <laughs> the economy is in such a state like i have two degrees i have a huge resume of stuff and i can't even get a job at goodwill i'm just gonna make youtube videos i'm angry you know um and what like did you ever have that point? Because I know I had this where where like I and I've I've lived longer with my college degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had more time to look back and go like you know, oh god, I wish I went for some stupid ass like accountancy thing just because I could be I could make some <laughs> nice money coming in. Like, have you had those moments here? You were like, maybe. Yeah. Or, have you even thought about even doing another course and something else? I don't want to go back to school. Yeah. Um, I love learning, but I, yeah, I have my friends who I met in film clubs who are just as passionate as I am about movies and stuff. Uh, one of them has a finance degree and he just got a really good job. One of my friends is like a programmer. One of my friends is a programmer. One of my friends is like does PR stuff. Another of my friends is an accountant in a big firm or whatever, one of the big four and they're doing well. Um, and I'm like living with my aunt and uncle and I have like, I have credit card debt and like, no, but I'm also like, I just got a convention just paid for my plane ticket and my hotel and I got to interview these amazing and like, like I'm, I get all these amazing opportunities that I wouldn't have if I had a full-time job. I couldn't just ask off for the month of September, <laughs> you know, yeah. no, I need uh, to go flying around and do a bunch of cons. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like I've, I had the full-time job for like eight years after college and, <laughs> um, looking back, like it definitely slowed me down significantly. And it's only been in the last year and a bit that I've I've actually you know I've been trying to work for myself that uh, it's uh, I actually feel like I've been getting anywhere and it's mm-hmm. it's it, like you I don't know if the podcast is picking it up but you may hear like these three you know, like you know nineteen year old college students who are like drinking in the, the kitchen right now <laughs> <laughs> oh god 
Because, <laughs> oh, you know, no. I'm, I'm living in, you know, that sort of building now because, like, that's what I have to do. <laughs> but it's worth – I know if I were an accountant – and, I mean, my friend who is an accountant, like, she's great at it and it's what she – you know, she enjoys it. And I – but I do kind of tease her about it a little bit. I'm like, you love film so much but you're not doing anything, you know. Um, and I know I would be miserable. I would hate it. I would hate every day. Like, I might, I did retail work for a little bit. I worked at a bookstore, and I hated every day of working. It was terrible. I was just like, why am I – this is my – like, I have a finite amount. Of, especially with, like, there's been so much death and stuff like that in my family. And it's like, I have such a limited amount of time. I'm going to do what I want to do, and nothing's going to stop me. Especially if I'm, I don't have um, – like, I'm not in a serious relationship. I don't have any kids. I don't have any pets. I am responsible for myself. Um, so I can't afford to, like, if I had, you know, if I did have kids or something, I would feel a lot worse about not having a super steady job and just flying around to conventions and going on vacations all the time, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I feel bad about that if I ever have a pet. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to have a cat, but I love cats. I just, I, I was just playing with my friend's kitten and my hands are all scratched up and I was like, I don't feel pain when I'm holding a kid. It's beautiful. I love him. You know, um, <laughs> it's great. He's wonderful. As he's like biting through my thumb. Um, but I can't be responsible for that right now. I can barely take care. I have this bamboo plant and I'll be gone for a week at a time and forget to tell people to water it. And I'm always scared. I'm going to kill it. I can't even take care of a plant right now. <laughs> Cause I've gone so much. Like I can't, um, I'm just taking, you know, taking the bus all over the country but it, it, it affords me all these amazing opportunities and i've been able to meet such wonderful people and hang out with people i've been a fan of and like it's been so cool and i wouldn't trade it for any kind of steady job where i would just sit there wondering like oh what would have happened if i did hadn't taken this job yeah what would my life be like if i had tried to do something on youtube i guess i'll never know and it's been it's been fascinating to watch from my point of view because like you reached out to me like what two years ago just like at Dragon Con oh. and said hello and like yeah I just remember being beeped at as I crossed the road. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. My aunt was driving. My cousin and I, and we saw you, and you like looked at me because we had never spoken in person. I think, and no. you kind of cocked your head to the side, and then you recognized me and you waved. You were like, who, oh, what? Yeah. This person. It was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you would uh, only a couple of months before that started reaching out via Twitter and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, you, you just like uh, harassed me as I crossed the street. <laughs> we did. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'll do better. I'll do better. Yeah, me and my cousin. I think it was, she was like, Is that Aaron Fever? I was like, Is it? And I looked, and I was like, It's Aaron Fever. And my aunt honked at you. Um, and then, yeah, and then I think, yeah, later on we came to Trader Vic's after a concert and we actually got to talk in person. Yeah. It's like, hey, and I felt I like walked in and you were at a t huge table full of people and I was like, oh, should we? Buy? It's like we're already here. I'll run and I like waved. Uh, but it was it was nice to kind of to go from just like, very brief interactions with you and then be able to kind of you know see your videos take off and then like you know then you kind of like doing stuff at the convention yourself and it's been it's <laughs> it's 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 nice to look from the outside and see someone like oh i i remember this feeling when this started to happen to me um and i think you're going to surpass me looking at like how quickly things are starting to move for you 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 seem we'll to be have you seem to be having it together which is it which is great to watch well thank you yeah and you've always been very kind and very supportive and I always really appreciated it because there are people who I've tried to say hello to or whatever who have not been receptive. <laughs> or who, not that I'm entitled, you know, to someone's time or attention, but I've had people who were just like mean or rude or, you know, dismissive. Yeah. Um, so it's been really cool. Yeah, because I guess I was thinking about that. I might have seen you like seven, eight or in 2010. So like six years ago, because I probably went to your panel. I don't remember. It was so long ago. It's like, yeah, someone who I've been seeing on stage for so long being so friendly and supportive has been really cool. Um, yeah, there's nothing worse when you kind of like, because it is, it's very, it's very nervous thing to have to kind of reach out to somebody who you are looking at from afar and like mm -hmm. go like, hey, I like this thing that you do. And then if you get someone's like, that's good kid. like <laughs> Yeah, I had, and I don't mind naming this person because he's it. never going to hear this. Uh, the first year at Dragon Con, I went up to, she was really sweet. I went up to Tessa Stone who did Hannah's Not a Boy's Name. And we have a mutual friend, and I like talked to her. She's like, uh, what she did a webcomic. She has a different one now. I don't remember what it's called. And I talked to her, and she was like really friendly, and it was really nice. Um, and then I went up to Eric Powell, who uh, does The Goon, 
which is like one of the few American comics I got really into. And I think he sort of influenced the way that I draw. And I some of the stuff really resonated with me. So I was like, it was my first year at Dragon Con. I was much more, I talk about being shy. I was way more shy then. I'm not used to talking to people like that. And I walk up to his table. I'm like, hi, I really like your comic. Um, how much are the, you know, like he had a bunch of different like sketchbooks and comics and stuff that you could buy. And he just looked at me and he was like, prices are on the back. And like played on his phone. And I was like, okay, uh, I'd like this one. And he did like a cool drawing on it and stuff. But he, I guess that's sort of like that tough guy persona or he was just tired. But was like, that was my only chance to meet him. Someone who had that. Im- and it's not like I wasn't like crying about it. Yeah. I wasn't heartbroken. It wasn't, I wasn't like in love with him and super upset. But it was still like, oh, what a dick. You didn't need to do that. And I'll never forget that too. He wasn't terrible, but it was like, you didn't, like you could have been a lot nicer. But I was giving him money. And I wasn't being weird. I wasn't, like, yelling at him or taking up a lot of his time, you know? Yeah. No, I had a similar-ish experience with Max or Mark Brooks, who does, like, a lot of the Spider-Man art. Uh, he did the Ultimate Spider-Man uh, originally with uh, Bendis and stuff. And um, he was doing a panel uh, with Peter David and Kelly Sue DeConnick. Kelly Sue had to leave a little bit early. Um, so I missed out on asking her this question, but I asked the panel because they were talking about, like, people who had come and gone in comics and mm-hmm. you know some people who are just aren't making comics anymore and you know it's it's unusual how they just lost you know they weren't getting a call anymore after being like huge and like you know in earlier decades and i so i thought it would be interesting to ask these guys who had been in the comics industry for quite some time is like if there was anybody who you could bring back into comics you know who would it be like is there someone that you think like they should really be working right now and uh, Peter David gave like the like you know oh Kirby like Jack Kirby I would bring yeah him back, yeah you know and so I was like okay that's that's cool and then uh, Mark Brooks is went like you know what that's a that's a really personal question and uh, I'm not gonna answer <laughs> that what a diva <laughs> I was just like it's not really that personal man <laughs> I mean he could have just said like I agree with Peter or something you know yeah <laughs> or like I can't think of anybody or I'm not sure but quite yeah oh, what a diva. Yeah, so uh, um, so that that tainted my view of that artist forevermore. <laughs> yeah, you can't. And people say like, don't meet your heroes and whatever. And I'm like, one, well, people are people. Maybe you shouldn't idolize anyone to that extent. Um, and also, if you meet someone and they're a jerk, like I would want to know if yeah. someone who made, even if the piece of art, I got uh, there was the whole odyssey of Dan Harmon blocking me on Twitter. That was bizarre, <laughs> but it doesn't. It didn't like ruin community for me or whatever. I wasn't upset. I wasn't, you know, heartbroken. He, he seems like a guy who doesn't really have his shit together anyway. No, he's a mess. Yeah, he's a, you know, I watched the Harmontown documentary, and there was a part with his then girlfriend or wife. They're divorced now. Um, he said something about like, oh yeah, well, you know, if you left me, I'd kill myself or whatever, which is manipulative and abusive, even if it's like a joke, like that's a, he does not like, that's bad. And I don't, uh, and I had no illusion of him being like a sweet person or whatever, but it was just like a really weird interaction where I was like, I really, you're being really cool to this person. He was like blocked. And I was like, okay, that's, that's funny. Whatever, (laughs) man. Uh, but again, yeah, that wasn't something, uh, there are definitely people who, if I met, if they did something really cruel to me or whatever, it would hurt my feelings a lot more. But at the same time, it's like if you don't if you don't really know someone, then you shouldn't feel like you know them or own a, or you know shouldn't be that invested. In. Yeah, you shouldn't expect a a certain level of anything from somebody. But you know, no. it, it's also it's it's always disappointing if someone's a dickhead because anybody and it's disappointing if you meet anybody and they're a dickhead. Yeah, <laughs> whether they're famous ever... or not. <laughs> yeah, you want to have pleasant interactions with people. That's not a whole lot to ask for. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but in 2010 or 2011, my friend and I went, or a couple friends and I went to the Jonathan Colton concert at Dragon Con. Um, and then we wanted to get a CD and get it signed by everybody. Uh, like, I guess Molly Lewis and Paul and Storm and Jonathan Colton are probably the people who were there. And they, staff totally screwed up and they had kicked us out, basically. And they were like, no, you have to leave. And we we're like, we've been here. We need it. And they were like, no, sorry, you were outside. I was like, no, we were inside. And then uh, Paul of Paul and Storm came up and he's like, wait. And he was busy, but he went like way out of his way to help us. And it was really cool. And I, d- I doubt he even like remembers that or would have any idea who I am or blah, 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 or whatever. But it's like, I remember when that dude went, spent like 15 minutes or whatever, making sure that we got stuff signed just because we had been fans and had been there. And I was like, that was so nice of him. 
Yeah, um, it's always, you know, it's it's like, it, it's not required to be a good guy, but it helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I was actually just on the kind of back of this topic going to ask you uh, mm-hmm. what you think about, because I talk to a lot of people about this and I find it fascinating because I don't even know how I feel myself. But like if you take, you know, some great filmmakers who are shitty people in real life. And this is beyond mm-hmm. the point where like someone would just be a little bit rude to you at a convention. These are like people who have kind of committed crimes. Um, yeah. Like, does that taint the movies? Like, you know, could you, like I, I spoke to someone recently, like uh, Midnight in Paris is not a bad movie. It's fun. It's enjoyable, but it's made by a whole of a human being. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, tough to separate that how how do you approach that like how what is your opinion on the idea of separating the human from their art i mean i don't give money to people like that or like roman polanski i've seen three of his films i think he's a good filmmaker i'm not gonna pay ever to see anything that he does and i lose a lot of respect for actors that still work with him um not that not that my respect matters or whatever you know um it's hard too because like in filmmaking community or other communities like there will be a person who's known as being creepy or who's known for being abusive or cold women have a big problem with that too at the moment yeah yeah all that stuff happening in chicago was terrible um recently about like uh, there was like a date rape problem and a guy who beat his girlfriend and she put photos up and all this that kind of stuff oh i didn't Um, even hear about that yeah it was it was like there's like a problem in that scene with like women get yeah not that comedy in general is great to women but anyway and I, I'll know people who are nice people, but they sort of, like, overlook or protect the creepy person. You know, the whole the analogy of the missing stare I was reading about. It's, like, you, you, a house and there's a stair missing and everyone just sort of knows about it, but they don't warn new people about it. Oh, so you okay. could fall through it and get hurt, um, especially women. It's, like, I lose – I mean, I know it's hard when you're trying to make it, but, like, when you support or protect someone like that and you're valuing your career or their career over the safety of other people, I think that's terrible. Um, I don't with art itself. I mean, it's hard. I'll still watch stuff. I actually haven't seen a Woody Allen movie because growing up, my mom introduced me to a lot of stuff, and she always thought he was terribly creepy, even before a lot of the recent um, stuff oh, yeah. came out. Like even and if I you just, just watch his old movies, you can you can like yeah, there's such a misogynistic kind of like line in all his films. Yeah, um, it it really depends. Stuff sometimes it's interesting, like on the waterfront it becomes a completely different movie when you know that the director was basically like ratting people out as communists. And that's sort of what the movie's about. It seems like a really cool, you know, inspiring movie that it's like, Oh, this was him rationalizing, like selling people out and being a snitch or whatever. That's terrible. Um, and I think art is still important. And like I said, I still watch stuff made by people who are creepy or abusive or whatever. But I think culturally we value art a lot more than we should when it comes to people like that yeah you know i don't think a movie is more important than someone's you know safety and sanctity is like a human being yeah and it's weird too like because especially when you watch older films and there's such a you know a racist or sexist undertone in them Hmm. but yeah you kind of know well it you it's like okay this is of its time but like aren't there other things of its time that aren't this bad? <laughs> That's what I say too. I, um, like when people talk about, especially I guess being in the Southern U S like old people are racist, whatever. They're just a product of their time. I'm like, I'll talk. I was talking to my grandma who's 80 years old and she was like, yeah, it always frustrated me growing up the way that I saw women treated and the way I saw black people treated. I was like, they, they're people too. And they have potential. And what have we missed out on, you know, as a society, blah, blah, blah. And she'll make excuses for other people. I'm like, Grandma, you have compassion. You have, like, what makes you, you're not, like, an alien. Like, you grew up, you were born in, like, the South a long time. Like, don't make excuses for people. I don't know. I think there is a certain extent. But also people forget. It's like, yeah, movies in, like, the 40s and stuff were really racist. Like, But there were, like, black people then, too. Like, they weren't, not everyone was racist. They were making film like, there were marginalized people who were being abused during those time periods. And I don't think they would agree with you. Like, Oh, it's just, that's just how it is, how it was. You know, I think people excuse, I think, yeah, I think people excuse all that way too much. Um, not that I'm some kind of perfect, pristine, you know, that not that I've ever said anything terrible. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, (laughs) it's like now I kind of, I 
because I got my start doing entertainment, quote unquote. Because I say that because I do a blanket of things, and so it's hard to like narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're busy, dude. <laughs> um, but uh, the first thing I kind of started doing was like a podcast, and you know, I look back at some of the episodes and like. I was not cool. I was not. <laughs> I was not a good dude. Sometimes, and yeah. I'm like, I had to go. Like, okay, I was younger. I was not as as informed, and um, you know, I was still learning about stuff and intentions and blah 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 blah. But like at the same time, I'm like, I I wouldn't recommend anyone to listen to that now. I'd yeah. be like, you know, it happened, and that's okay. But let it stay in the past because you know I'm not proud of it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I very deliberately change my like username and like you can't like hopefully people can't find the stuff I did online when I was like 15 to 18. Not that I was like terrible. I didn't bully people and I didn't like I don't know. But I there's stuff I said that's like I would not say that now. I would not like to talk to that person <laughs> uh, <laughs> who used, you know, called stuff gay and whatever just stuff like that. Not I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was such a common thing when we were teenagers. That it was just like yeah. it was just like a euphemism for something being like you know like uncool. <laughs> I didn't even do it in person. It was online. It's all the people I talked to, and we all sort of. I still talk to a lot of those people now, and the people that I still talk to grew out of it. I'll say that. <laughs> Maybe not the ones that I don't talk to anymore. Yeah, um, and I think that, I think that's the 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 main thing because I think you know even when we're talking about uh, directors and other people who you know have a history of doing dumb things if mm -hmm. they have shown a growth and they have shown a you know a, a reasonable level of like you know uh acceptance that they were bad before mm -hmm. but like it's kind of it's it's again you know you keep going back to woody allen because he's such an obvious example but like Ugh. i really have never heard like an apology from that man <laughs> i'm sure he just does his creepy predatory thing and you know, whatever people, people still will scramble to be in his films. I can't believe it. Like, I forget how recently Polanski made a movie. I was like, Oh my God, like, how could you work? And I remember finding a list of people like there were the Hollywood petitions supporting him. And there was one of people who were like against Polanski. And I was like, good. And I like looked at the lit, you know, yeah. like keeping in mind, I think David Lynch was on it and I love him. And I was like, thank you, David, for not being like, you know, I know you like drugged and raped a 13 year old girl, but your movies are good. <laughs> so we care more about that, you know. Uh, Lynch did a razorhead, didn't he? Yeah. Man, okay. So, <laughs> can we talk about that for just one moment? Because I was when I was in college, we had a, a, an experimental film class. Um, one, in one of the classes, we were shown a razorhead, and I got like viscerally angry, like halfway through that movie, that I was I could not leave. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. Or go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, I, I, it was, it's a movie that uh, I hear people say is great, but I still haven't heard anybody tell me why. <laughs> and I know you're a Lynch fan. I love David. Um, I actually only saw it really recently, a few weeks ago, in preparation for a panel I was on at Intervention Con. I has, I somehow hadn't seen it, and I was watching it with my friend, and the power went out, like right before the last fifteen minutes of it. So I actually never finished it. I It is hard to sit through. It's weird. It's really interesting. It's just watching someone's nightmare. Um, I do prefer Lynch's slightly more accessible stuff. Like Mulholland Drive is very challenging and very strange, but I absolutely loved it. Right. Uh, I love that movie. Um, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed that too. And, and it's, it's you know, it's always cool to see someone do things that are quite different as well, like that. Like, you know, the difference yeah. between a Razorhead and a Mulholland Drive is, you know, quite strong. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, that one always bugged me. <laughs> it's been a, it's been I a can understand it too. I was, <laughs> I was like tired and I was falling asleep. I was trying to stay awake, but I was like, I wow, this is rough. Um, and my mom and my aunt, I think, saw that in theaters and walked out or almost walked out. But then years later, my mom and my dad loved Twin Peaks. They're so different. I mean, mom has a pretty open mind about that kind of stuff. And she, I keep bringing her up because she influenced so much of me being into movies and stuff. She showed me like universal horror movies when I was little. She showed me Evil Dead and a lot of other stuff. Um, but they, like she got really, really into Twin Peaks, but it's a lot easier to watch Twin Peaks than Eraserhead. And I can only imagine how hard it was to get Eraserhead any kind of funding or to get it made when it's so weird. Um, yeah, it's 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 not on the same like it's a because there's another movie that I always refer to as something that like just 
I'll never watch again, but I know it's well made. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's Requiem for a Dream. I haven't uh, seen that, but I have a, an idea of. Yeah, it's just it's it's that kind of idea of like this is made to make you not happy. <laughs> yeah, which I like a lot of stuff like that. Um, it, it just depends, and you know, movies are subjective and whatever. I like a lot of dark comedies and movies other people find unpleasant. Um, like I really really loved The Lobster when it came out, and that's a dark film. There yeah. are jokes about suicide and about all sorts of stuff, uh, and it's it's pretty brutal. But I it resonated with me, and I really enjoyed it. But if someone was like, that was a little too dark for me, I'd be like, that's fair. Yeah. You know? And how are you? Because, like, there's a few movies like that that I, like, I really enjoyed this, but it's such a experience um, mm-hmm. that I don't want to, like, rewatch this again for a very long time. Or are you able to, are you able to watch a movie and, like, Jesus, that was, like, visceral experience. Let's watch it again. It really depends on the movie and why... It makes me feel like that. Like I saw, I was talking to someone about Green Room, which I saw in theaters, which is very, very, uh, it's also very dark and, and sad and like explicitly violent, uh, but I loved it. Oh, probably like, have you seen or heard of uh, Man Bites Dog? Oh yeah, I, I watched it in, in college, yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen that movie like three or four times. Uh, I love it, but it's... And it's very I, funny. It's, it is very funny. We, uh, one of my old roommate, we had told her about, she's not like really a film person, but she's one of my best friends. And we had told her about 400 blows. I was like, yeah, it's this movie with like this little French boy, blah, blah. blah. And then she like took it. We were going to watch that, but we ended up watching man bites dog and she like woke up from her nap or whatever. And she thought we were watching 400 blows. And then as it went on, she's like, this isn't about a little French boy. This is horrible. And I was like, oh yeah, sorry. (laughs) That is not what we're watching. Watching one of the most like relentlessly violent felt like that critiques you know media portrayals of violence and stuff it's very intelligent but it is like you know, it's super graphic and yeah but it's so great uh it, the thing where, where he's in the streets screaming like singing and stuff it's oh. and it's like if i remember right it's one of the first mockumentaries as well isn't it yeah so like yeah it's, it's, it's groundbreaking the, in a number yeah. of ways yeah and one of the i think the director later like killed himself uh there's like a sad you know um so there's a sort of dark cloud over it too. I don't know if he went. I don't know if he made anything else. Or one of the one of the either the lead actor or one of the main group of people, one of the main people in the group uh, killed himself a few years later, I think. Um, but yeah, I just, I yeah, because I, I've always had a really like morbid sense of humor, and to me that's a lot more. In art, it's a lot more honest than well, everything's happy and good, and we everything has a happy ending, and every you know. Um, so I that sort of stuff resonates. Maybe not Man Bites Dog as much, but uh, stuff like Heather's or After Hours uh, really deeply resonate with me, even though they're strange, dark comedies. Yeah, I really uh, like that kind of stuff. Well, speaking of happy endings, <laughs> we're we're at the end of our podcast. Um, so I must ask you, mm-hmm. what song would you like to be played out on? Oh man, I don't know. I gotta think about it. <laughs> uh, do you do this in every episode? I do. I don't listen. To, that's why I, you, you, I just found out today. I would have listened to him, but I just found out today I was gonna be on it. I know. I surprised you. Do uh, hold on. Do I'm looking at my phone. Like, what music do I like? <laughs> <laughs> I just went and saw um, Kanye West. Good. So do play me out on ultra light beam because that's what he closed on. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. It was wonderful. Did he have the crazy large, like just wall of lights behind him? Was that that show? He had, he was on a stage, a floating stage that went left and right across the audience. And behind him, he had a screen and most of it was just showing him um, like dancing around and singing and whatever. But then it was like, it was like him looking and it was like a canyon of light and there was fog and there were lights everywhere. It was like this weird, I don't know if it was pre-recorded or if it was an effect they were doing live and it was just so beautiful and strange. Um, It was like him turning towards this like canyon, this like light thing. I don't even know how to describe it. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a fan of Kanye. He's, he's nuts, but he's the right type of nuts I want in my pop star. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and people are like, oh, he's such a terrible person. No, he's fine. There are people in music who, like, murder people and, like, beat women and, you know, who have... And he, he oh, he, I'm sorry, he stole a microphone and he's yeah. full of himself. He's, he's terrible. Like, yeah. we, oh, I'm but. sorry. I'm sorry he likes who he is and I'm sorry he really loves Beyonce and his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous the way people rag on him. I love him. The that tweet he did about like being on an airplane and someone lost their water bottle and he's like, Great, now I have to be responsible for this water bottle. I just love him. He's so funny. Love him to death. Yeah. Alright, well that should be playing um in the background. Um and uh yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me on, that was really fun. No problem. I'm trying to keep my faith. We on a ultra light beam. We on a ultra light beam. This is a god dream. This is a god dream. This is everything. This is everything. Deliver us serenity. Deliver us peace. Deliver us love. We know we need it. Pray for Paris, pray for the parents This is a God dream This is a God dream, this is a God dream